What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. We all need a break from the constant cycle to learn something new, to gain new perspectives. The Great Courses Plus streaming service is an excellent resource to expand our knowledge on a variety of subjects or pick up a new hobby. I've been enjoying The Great Courses Plus while researching this season of Flashback. Lectures like Play Ball, The Rise of Baseball as America's Pastime, History of the Supreme Court, and Battlefield Europe have helped me connect the dots on several stories from history. Right now, they're giving our listeners a special limited-time offer, a free month of unlimited access to their entire library. Sign up now through our special URL. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Aussie. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash O-Z-Y. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Aussie. Before we start today's episode, please be sure to support Flashback by rating and leaving a review for us right here in your podcast app. A special shout out this week to our listener, Wells Wells, who got last week's pop quiz correct. The question was, what chronic physical ailment did Adolf Hitler suffer from that led him to seek some rather unorthodox and highly consequential medical treatment? And you're all about to find that out. Stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear the quiz question for next week's episode. September 1938. The fate of Europe hangs in the balance. In an effort to appease Adolf Hitler and the Nazi war machine, Allied leaders handed part of Czechoslovakia called the Sudetenland over to Germany. A smiling British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain returned from Munich and came down the steps of his airplane in triumph. And the Prime Minister comes home, home to an empire filled with joy and relief, home to a welcome that he will never forget. It seemed like a true turning point in history. The settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is, in my view, only the prelude to a larger settlement in which all Europe may find peace. But neither the Czechoslovakia problem nor peace had been remotely achieved 
Hitler wasn't done with Germany's neighbor, and he was prepared to seize every advantage he could to finish the job, even a medical emergency. Six months later, in March 1939, Czechoslovakia's president Emil Hacha came to Berlin to meet with Hitler, Hermann Göring, and other Nazi leaders. This is scholar Norman Oler, author of the book Blitzed, Drugs in Nazi Germany. During that visit, Göring um, put a paper on the desk and said, please sign here, this is your capitulation, the German troops are coming tomorrow, if you sign here, no blood will be shed. Hacha refused, but under the stress of the situation, the ailing president suffered what was likely a coronary episode. The historical records show that he actually fainted. Hacha actually lost consciousness in that room with Hitler, Göring, and some other Nazi uh, bigwigs. And of course, if Hacha wasn't awake and functioning, then he couldn't sign the paper that would give his country away to the Nazis. Luckily, Hitler's personal physician, Theodore Morell, was standing by. Morel was called and he injected a cocktail into the unconscious Czechoslovakian president. But this cocktail was no martini. While it's not known for certain what was in the drugs that were shot into Hacha, most scholars think it was methamphetamine. Certainly the cocktail had the effect that Hacha came back to life, looked around in the room and suddenly felt that he could do it, that he could trust these guys. And Göring would then say to him, Come on, we will protect you. So Hacha then signed it and basically signed over the defeat of his country. The next day, Germans came and Czechoslovakia was basically gone. The very next morning, Hitler invaded Prague without a fight. Through the snow, the legions of occupation march into Czechoslovakia. This rapid stroke, which has outraged all freedom-loving nations of the world, is carried out with military exactitude. Artillery rolls into Prague and mounts guard on the Hradšin, the castle of King Wenceslas. Presently, from a window of the castle, you may catch a glimpse of Hitler himself contemplating his new conquest. Hitler stands alone in that castle window, but there was another man who was certainly in the room, Dr. Theodore Morell, the man who injected the Czech president in Berlin. Throughout the war, he was always at Hitler's side, and the conquest of Czechoslovakia was far from the only way he helped alter the course of the war, and history itself. I'm Sean Braswell. This is Flashback, a podcast from Ozzy designed to take you on a ride through some of history's most remarkable unintended consequences. Today, a story of war and peace, of madmen and vitamins, a cautionary tale about what can happen when you give powerful people some powerful drugs. If you've ever seen a documentary film about Adolf Hitler or the Nazis, chances are you've seen some of the home movies shot by Hitler's girlfriend, Ava Brown, at the Berghof, the Fuhrer's Mountain Retreat. In those remarkable silent color films, you can see a relaxed Hitler chatting with other Nazi leaders like Hermann Göring and Joseph Goebbels on a sun-drenched deck with the mountain view behind. The Nazis eat cake and sip tea and gleefully discuss plans for world domination. One of the figures you see repeatedly, but might not recognize, is an overweight, bald man with glasses. This was Hitler's personal physician, Dr. Theodore Morell. What you don't see, of course, is what happens when Ava Brown turns off the camera. That's when things return to normal, and the Nazis' warts are revealed. Brown goes back to biting her lips until they bleed. 
Dr. Morell is so unhealthy he can barely climb a flight of stairs. And Hitler himself, when the camera stops, his hands are shaking so badly, his teacup rattles loudly in its saucer. The German Führer is a wreck and a drug addict and an increasingly deranged one. And there's one man to thank for it. But believe it or not, this whole thing, and perhaps the most fateful doctor-patient relationship in history, starts with a very minor problem. One that World War II historians don't often pay much attention to. Adolf Hitler's insane and unrelenting flatulence. Hitler suffered from uh, pretty bad health. This is Giles Milton, a historian and the author of When Hitler Took Cocaine and Lenin Lost His Brain. He had um, suffered from stomach cramps, from diarrhea, from appalling flatulence. I mean, this was p partly perhaps due to the diet that he ate. He, he only ate these sort of watery vegetables, which he had pureed or mashed, and he ate these virtually every meal. Hitler had such bad gas, he would often have to leave the table. And his dietary problems left him desperate for solutions. Norman Oler again. Hitler was always looking for unorthodox treatments and um, he did not like his uh, conventional doctors that would send him on diets when he was uh, complaining of stomach cramps and uh, gas, which was his main problem in the, in the mid-30s. Finally, Hitler met someone who could help, even if his methods were a bit unorthodox. Uh, Morel was a celebrity doctor in um, Berlin in the early 30s. And um, he was known to treat patients for diseases that didn't exist. He was a type of doctor feel good. Morell was also something of a medical pioneer. This was a new approach to medicine. And he used especially vitamins in the beginning. He was sure that if you inject high dosages of vitamins into the bloodstream of a person, that that person would have more energy, and that it would also elevate the mood of that person. It's not such a crazy idea. When we do it still today, we take vitamin supplements. But I was walking once in LA and I saw at a health food store uh, an announcement that they were offering injections of vitamin B1. So I guess Morel in a way was um, an avant-garde uh, health doctor or fitness doctor. Then in 1933, something happened that made even Berlin's resident Dr. Feelgood uneasy. Someone smeared the word Jew in large letters across the plaque outside the doctor's office. Morell was not a Jew, but in the wake of that hate crime, he knew he needed to make sure others knew that as well. His response was that he joined the Nazi party to show that he was not a Jew, because Jews obviously weren't allowed to join the Nazi party. And Morell came to see the Nazis as more than just protection. His reaction was not, what an appalling uh, racist movement, but his reaction was, yeah, I'm gonna join them so they don't, you know, so I can be part of this, uh, this movement. So that was a very opportunist reaction, but it t tells a lot about Morel and his later approach in life towards uh, the Nazis. He basically tried to take advantage of them. He was never a real believer in the ideology. He was just a believer in power and money and um, even fame. And a few years later, an opportunity came knocking that would give the social climbing Nazi vitamin peddler just the chance he desired. One day in 1936, the phone rang in Dr. Morel's office. 
A few hours later, he was being flown to Munich for a special vegetarian spaghetti dinner with none other than the Fuhrer himself. After the dinner, Hitler admitted to the doctor that his digestion was so poor he could barely function. Giles Milton again. And he turned to Theodore Morell um, because Theodore Morell claimed that he would be able to help him. And help him he did, but in the most unorthodox ways. Morell studied Hitler and his diet and his resulting digestion. After Hitler downed a typical vegetable platter one day, the doctor recorded in his diary that, quote, constipation and colossal flatulence occurred on a scale I have seldom encountered before. He began by giving the Führer these things, these tiny little black tablets, and they were, they were called Dr. Kuster's anti-gas pills. And um, Hitler was taking 16 of these pills a day. What he didn't realise is that they, they contained uh, small quantities of strychnine, which, of course, is a, is a poisoning. But the treatment did work on the gas front. Norman Oler. And it did cure Hitler's um, bloating in 1936, 1937, and Hitler was so impressed by this effect, which was a big effect on his daily life, that he appointed Morell as his personal physician. Dr. Feelgood had gone from being a celebrity doctor to treating the most powerful man in Europe. And for a while, everything was great. And Hitler, in fact, did not get sick for those first years in Morell's treatment. Never got the flu or anything, never got a cold. Uh, because he was always high on, filled to the brim with vitamin C and, and, and other vitamins. By the summer of 1941, a healthy Hitler in Germany had taken much of Europe and turned their attention to Russia. At midday on June the 22nd, the peoples of the USSR heard the news that they were at war with Germany. Loudspeakers in the principal cities carried the voice of Monsieur Molotov announcing that the Nazis were already flinging into battle about a hundred divisions along a front extending nearly 2,000 miles. The invasion of Russia was a critical juncture in the war, and Hitler was at odds with his generals about the best way to do it. And then... Hitler fell ill. He had, uh, for the first time, he was ill since the war started, actually since 36, since, since he met Morel. And um, he had a strong, very strong flu with high fever and uh, demanded from Morel that he would give him something that would enable him to go into the military briefing room and uh, continue his version of the campaign. And so the loyal doctor obliged and gave the Fuhrer something stronger, a substance that would alter Hitler's physiological makeup and ultimately his conduct of the war, and with disastrous consequences. Do you have an interesting tale about unintended consequences from history or your own life? Please share it with us by emailing flashback at ozzy.com. That's flashback at ozy.com. Enjoying this episode? Check out the Great Courses Plus streaming service. It's an excellent resource to expand our knowledge on a variety of subjects, like Adolf Hitler. In researching this episode of Flashback, I dove deep into the lectures World War II, Battlefield Europe, and Utopia and Terror in the 20th century. With the Great Courses Plus app, we can keep our minds active. Escape into this vast world of information. Watch or listen at any time, anywhere. 
Right now, they're giving our listeners a special limited time offer, a free month of unlimited access to their entire library. Sign up now through our special URL. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Aussie. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash O-Z-Y. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Aussie. When Hitler and the Nazis first came to power in 1933, they quickly set out to brand themselves as a new type of political party from those that had gone before in Germany, one whose members were virtuous, even in their personal lives. Norman Oler. Drugs were quite widely taken in the Weimar Republic. Um, they were not taboo at all. There were laws against it, but those laws weren't enforced. So Hitler changed that. Uh, Hitler proclaimed to be leading an anti-drug movement. And an important part of that self-betrayal was to uh, announce that Hitler himself was an abstinent person who did not drink alcohol, let alone take any drugs. Hitler also wouldn't drink caffeinated coffee or tea because he considered them stimulants. So this portrait of the Führer as the pure... The pure man was an integral part of the cult around Hitler and of the propaganda that the Nazi party uh, was spinning in Germany and also abroad. The Nazis promised clean living and a kind of social and ideological intoxication. At the core of that portrayal was the notion that the Nazis were about purity. They were about cleaning up the mess of the Weimar Republic, cleaning it from strange influences like the Jewish, especially the Jewish uh, influence. And for years, Hitler, the teetotaler and vegetarian, never drank and hardly ever ate meat. As flashback listeners will know, millions of soldiers, especially in America, became addicted to cigarettes after World War I. Hitler, as the story goes, threw his last pack of cigarettes into the Danube River after he fought in that war. As one of Hitler's supporters marveled about his purity in 1930, quote, he is all genius and body. And gas, it might have been added. But thanks to Theodore Morell's treatments and vitamins, even that unfortunate byproduct of his purity went away, and Hitler seemed as physiologically invincible as he was politically invincible. Then, in 1941, he got the flu on the eve of the war with Russia, and right before a key briefing with his generals. He asked Morel what else he had in his drug cupboard. And Morel gave him then for the first time an opioid uh, called Dolantin, a German opioid at the time, which cured Hitler's uh, flu immediately uh, and let him go to the briefing room. From that point on, as the war raged on and Hitler encountered more stress and exhaustion, Morel started to add some new ingredients into the vitamin mixture he was giving to the Fuhrer, Giles Milton again. He was giving him testosterone, he was giving opiates, sedatives, laxatives, barbiturates, morphine, I mean, you name it. He was pumping the Fuhrer full of, full of this stuff, up to 80 different drugs a day. So an extraordinary cocktail. As Morell recorded in his notes, which were later recovered, he gave Hitler more than 800 injections during those final years of the war. Norman Oler. Hitler received one to two injections a day, which is an incredible amount of injections. I don't know if there's any person in the world that gets so many injections into the veins of the arm uh, each day. Morell's drug cocktail got even more bizarre as Hitler's addiction and needs grew. 
animal hormones, steroids, cocaine. Hitler, the icon of purity, was now a common drug addict. So you can imagine that the uh, once teetotaler uh, Hitler, towards the end of the war, was, uh, had a very different uh, approach to drug taking. And thanks to Morell's efforts, so did rank-and-file Nazis. Germany was a drug-free country, basically due to the Nazis' strict anti-drug regime until in 1938 a new medicine was allowed to come onto the market. It was called pervitin, because pervitin was pure methamphetamine. Uh, one pill had three milligrams of methamphetamine, and it became a big hit in Germany. That's right, methamphetamine, a special brew developed by Dr. Feelgood himself for the German public. You could buy at a local pharmacy. You didn't even need a prescription. And it wasn't long before the troops were taking it too. Crystal meth is, a, is actually a very good drug for a fighter because it mobilizes um, all your strength within a short period of time. It was the perfect drug to accompany the Nazis' new method of warfare. Poland and the world learned the meaning of a grim new word. Blitzkrieg. When Germany attacked France, 35 million dosages of methamphetamine were distributed to the troops, enabling the Germans to perform, the German soldiers to perform longer than the Allied soldiers. In the first hundred hours of the Nazi invasion of France, the Germans gained more territory than they had in over four years during World War I. The Allied forces had brought a knife to a pharmacological gunfight. Which was red wine in, in, the, in the First World War. The French were using red wine quite successfully, boosting their morale. In, the, in, in World War II, this didn't work anymore, really, because the Germans were on meth. But it didn't take long for the rampant substance abuse to catch up with the Nazis and their Fuhrer. The drug-filled bubble that Theodore Morel had injected into the veins of World War II was about to burst, and the casualties would be in the millions. As the needle marks grew in number on Adolf Hitler's arms, so did his bizarre actions. Giles Milton. This extraordinary regime of drugs, um, you know, many of which are, are classified as illegal these days, um, led to increasingly erratic behaviour on the part of the Führer. And there was one uh, infamous uh, meeting between Hitler and Mussolini in Italy where Hitler really began, he was almost hysterical when he was talking to Mussolini. And it seems that uh, he'd been taking so many amphetamines that it was really begin to, beginning to affect his performance, the way he talked, the way he acted. Where Hitler had once relied on adrenaline and natural charisma to sway audiences, he now relied on pharmaceuticals for his edge. If you watch videos of Hitler's speeches, you get the impression of this kind of almost manic, pumped-up sort of person. And I think this is largely to do with the, with the regiment of drugs he was on. Soon he stopped doing speeches almost altogether and increasingly retreated into his bunker. He was unbalanced, irritable, impulsive, and at times delusional. He would go on screaming tirades that could last for hours. Of course... This it became increasingly complicated because Hitler was taking on more and more responsibility for the actual running of the war, much to the horror of his senior generals. But certainly, by the end of the war, he was um, unable to think uh, straight at all uh, because he was, you know, so pumped up by the drugs he was taking. Norman Oler. We can see for sure that Hitler became more and more inflexible in his decision-making. His ego was so inflated that he never doubted himself. 
Hitler had actually been quite a measured strategic planner during the early days of the war. In the beginning, from 1933 to 1941, he basically made no mistakes, no great, no big mistakes. Let's put it that way. I mean, the, the attack on Poland was, of course, a big mistake, which led to his downfall eventually. But still, he won the war against Poland. He won the war against France. He won basically the war against everybody in Europe. But his growing drug addiction helped change all that. His military decision-making at a point in the war against the Soviet Union was not working anymore. The situation demanded of him a flexible mind but he didn't have a flexible mind. Still, with the war dragging on and the Nazi forces losing ground and men in 1944, Hitler remained remarkably upbeat during his military briefings. So upbeat that his own generals assumed he had an atomic bomb or some other secret plan up his sleeve that would turn the war around. But all Hitler had up his sleeve were track marks. The drugs kept him on his road as the Führer who knows everything and who could not fail and and this was the road that led him uh, to self-destruction and, uh, and led the whole country of Germany to, to destruction and final defeat. Hitler's misplaced optimism kept Germany in a war that it could not win for months, even years, while millions perished. Throughout everything, Dr. Morell remained at Hitler's side. Hitler himself wouldn't have anything said against uh, Theodore Morell. He, he thought he was a marvel worker and um, stayed with him to the very end. And in fact, right up to the uh, fall of the Third Reich, when Hitler was in his bunker, Theodore Morell was at his side, continually pumping him full of drugs. It was Morell that supplied Hitler with the lethal cyanide pills that the dictator and Eva Braun would use to kill themselves in that famous Berlin bunker. Morell himself escaped that bunker and was eventually tracked down, not by Allied forces, but by an industrious New York Times reporter. Thanks to her story, American forces took Morell prisoner, but the increasingly ill doctor was of little use as a witness at Nuremberg and died a few years later after the war at age 61. Theodore Morell had left his mark on Adolf Hitler's health and on world history, helping to prolong a costly and deadly war well beyond when it might have otherwise concluded. How many lives would have been saved had Hitler's drug addiction not reached such dangerous levels? Or might a healthy Hitler have made better decisions? Would the Nazis have been more successful and the war lasted even longer? It's impossible to know. But there's one other fascinating wrinkle to this story that complicates things even further. Hitler had a pre-existing condition that went undiagnosed at the time, one that might have made all the difference to his drug-induced downfall. That's next. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Adolf Hitler is hardly the only world leader to have ever relied on a loyal doctor to service his health and diet requirements. In fact, there was another big-name 20th century leader who also received regular injections while in charge of a major industrial power. There are some who say that communism is the wave of the future. Let them come to Berlin. Like Hitler, U.S. President John F. Kennedy suffered from a number of ailments that required doctor supervision. Nasir Ghami is a psychiatrist at Tufts University and Harvard Medical School and the author of A First-Rate Madness, Uncovering the Links Between Leadership and Mental Illness. In the case of Kennedy, he was getting... Um, um, steroid injections for his underlying Addison's disease, which is a adrenal gland um, deficiency. One White House physician gave Kennedy these injections several times per week. But Kennedy, like Hitler, had his own less orthodox German doctor, Max Jacobson. Jacobson was an a, uh, emigre from Germany, and he had private, previously worked in Berlin. And there is some possibility that he had actually worked with Theodore Morell and had actually been, was a protege, in fact, of Theodore Morell. Jacobson, like Morell, was a Dr. Feelgood and a physician to celebrities. And perhaps his most famous patient was the 35th president of the United States. He gave him intravenous uh, amphetamines as well, intravenous steroids, a lot of the same treatments that, that Morell used, uh, you know, again, ground up testosterone, things of that nature. And then uh, he was giving these to Kennedy in the early years of his administration, the first two years or so. And again, just like with Hitler, Kennedy's friends and advisors and even family were noticing that he was acting differently. He was very uh, irritable, impulsive, very hypersexual. But despite the cocktail of drugs he was receiving, Kennedy's behavior and health didn't deteriorate the way that Hitler's did. Why? Well, Dr. Gami says the answer to that starts with another underappreciated aspect of Hitler's health, his mental illness. People who knew Hitler as a young man observed some very distinct behavioral traits. So, for instance, you know, they would describe that he would have periods of time where he would become much less functional, 
uh, much less interested in things, wouldn't talk much, wouldn't eat much, uh, would just stay in his room for weeks or months on end. Um, and that's kind of a standard definition of a clinical depression. And then he would come out of these periods and suddenly he'd be very energetic, very active, very talkative, and that would last weeks or months. And again, that's a classic definition of manic episodes. And this happened repeatedly, and that's what the definition of bipolar illness is. Despite being bipolar, says Dr. Gami, Hitler was able to function for years. Before 1937, Hitler's manic and depressive periods were on the mild side, uh, and he wasn't treated medically because there were no treatments um, at the time for depression or bipolar illness. But once Theodore Morell started his injections, everything went haywire. A lot of people after the war among the West just thought that Hitler was an irrational, impulsive person. But by the end of the war, the drug-fueled Fuhrer was not that person. The problem with amphetamines, if you have bipolar illness, is that it can make you manic. And it can, once you get manic, you go up and down and up and down, and suddenly you'll be having lots and lots of mood episodes caused by the amphetamines. The amphetamines improve the depressive symptoms short-term, but they worsen the depressive and manic episodes if given long-term. Historians for years have pondered whether Hitler suffered from some kind of madness. So did his fellow Nazis. People like Himmler and, and others thought that he just got sick, that he just developed a new, maybe insanity or a new kind of disease. But I think in retrospect, it's much more likely the correlation is with the intravenous amphetamine treatment, that his baseline bipolar illness was just made worse. John F. Kennedy did not suffer from bipolar illness, and therefore his body responded to the amphetamines he was given differently. But he was also the beneficiary of a successful intervention. White House doctors tried for months to get Kennedy to stop taking advice and injections from Max Jacobson. And at first, President Kennedy resisted. He famously said, I don't care if it's horse piss, it works. But the one person that could influence John Kennedy was Robert Kennedy. And when Robert Kennedy, the president's brother and the attorney general, came down strongly against Jacobson, he was removed from the White House. And the president's other doctors were able to step in and prescribe a less harmful drug regimen. Adolf Hitler might have been a ticking time bomb well before he even met Theodore Morell, but the doctor helped light a fuse that would have devastating consequences. It's an extreme example, but one we can still learn from. Giles Milton. The lesson is you've got to be very careful when you're uh, you know, messing around and experimenting with these, these drugs. They have powerful side effects and you don't always know what they are. And the more powerful the person taking the drugs or medication, the more powerful an impact those substances can have on the world. So, you know, uh, my advice for any of today's CEOs in, in Silicon Valley or, or, or elsewhere would um, be to think very carefully before you start pumping yourself full of uh, very, very powerful drugs. Adolf Hitler is one of the most scrutinized figures in history. But in this episode, we managed to extract a few of the more surprising lessons from his life. First, in some cases, farting is truly no laughing matter. Second, don't believe everything you see in a home movie. Third, Adolf Hitler had more track marks than Courtney Love. And finally, beware of celebrity doctors pushing vitamin supplements that can change your world. Sometimes they can, and not for the better. Goring has only got one ball. Hitler's are so very small. Himmler's 
It's all very similar And Goebbels has no balls at all Flashback is written and hosted by me, Sean Braswell, senior writer and executive producer at Aussie. It was produced by Robert Kulos, Tracy Moran, Iori Degiziwa, and Shannon Williamson. Chris Hoff engineered our show. Special thanks to the crew at iHeartRadio Podcast Networks, especially Sophie Lichterman and Jack O'Brien. This episode features the song Hitler Has Only Got One Ball, performed by John Jones. Make sure to subscribe to Flashback on the iHeartRadio app or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Flashback is the latest podcast from Ozzy, a modern media company producing original TV series, festivals, news, and podcasts for curious people. Ozzy's unique storytelling focuses on the new and the next, whether that's forward-looking news and features, bold perspectives on TV, or brand new ways of looking at history. To dive deeper, head to ozzy.com flashback. That's ozy.com flashback. There you can find my lecture notes from today's episode, featuring extended interviews, links to further reading, and more information on the unintended consequences of giving drugs to Adolf Hitler, as well as other hidden stories from history, uncovered by me and other reporters at Ozzy. The song you're hearing is a wartime propaganda song that was hugely popular among British troops. And there may be some truth to the urban legend that Hitler had only one ball. A few years ago, a German historian unearthed some of the long-lost medical records showing that the gassy dictator suffered from right-side cryptochidism, or in lay terms, an undescended right testicle. Please be sure to support Flashback by rating and leaving a review for us right here in your podcast app. And remember to answer this question about next week's episode for a chance to win a shout-out. Who unintentionally paved the way for abortion rights in America? Was it A. George Washington's cousin, Little Tommy Delaware? B. A woman with 17 children? C. A powerful lawmaker's common house cat? Or D. A male crusader against obscenity? Take your best guess and leave it as a comment in your podcast app, along with your five-star review. Thanks for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. 
book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.